Hello, I'm Kate Fisher. Welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, the podcast that tells the survival stories of blood product recipients and encourages people to donate blood, plasma, platelets and breast milk. This podcast aims to bridge the gap of anonymity between Australian donors and their recipients. It documents the remarkable lives that they go on to live, the contributions they make to their communities and the joy they bring to those around them. If you have ever been a blood donor, you could be the one to save the life of the guests that we profile here each week on the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. And becoming a donor in the future means that you too could become a part of this story. This week, by very popular demand, we are doing another story featuring donor breast milk. And as I've said previously, this is not a breast milk versus formula debate at all. I think that every family should choose to feed their baby in the way that feels right for them. We are just hoping to share these stories so that people know that this is an option. And to thank the donors who generously pump, store and donate their breast milk for other people's babies. If you go back in the podcast feed, um, you'll see that on New Year's Eve last year, we released an episode about donor breast milk with the amazing Nikki and Mandy. um, And we've had so much beautiful feedback on that episode. Um, so I encourage you to go back and have a listen if you haven't heard that one before, or if you like today's episode, and this is a topic that you're interested in. Um, and like Nikki and Mandy, the guest that we interview here today is also a mother to multiples. Today, we welcome Leone to the Milkshakes for Mali community. Leone is the mother of triplets, Liliana, Isabella, and Charlotte, who were born prematurely at 33 weeks by emergency C-section. 21 minutes after Leone became, began having a seizure that was starving her precious tiny girls of oxygen while they were still nestled in her uterus. When her girls were born, Leone was in an induced coma, fighting for her life. Her husband Peter had no idea if it was the day of the miracle survival of his wife and three daughters or if he would lose them all. Leone, welcome. Um, it's such a pleasure to have you here on the Milkshakes for Mali podcast and welcome to being a part of our community. Ah, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> um, now, in researching this episode, I've seen that you and I have had very similar journeys in creating our families. Um, our sons are IVF babies and our middle guy, Campbell, is actually a surviving twin. Uh, we lost his brother, Benjamin, during our pregnancy. Um, So I just have so much empathy for the crazy journey that you guys have been on to create your family. Uh, You had such an intense six-year journey of trying, and I think so many of us that have been through fertility treatment understand how tough those years really are, you know, financially, emotionally, on your marriage, on your body, and, you know, while trying to uphold the rest of your life when it feels so overwhelming at the time. Um, and you had a huge amount of loss in medical intervention as well. Can we just open the episode today um, with how you felt when you had the ultrasound and found out that after all of this, you were actually carrying three babies? Uh, yeah, I think uh, shocked is probably the appropriate word. Yeah. We've been trying for nearly six years. Uh, we'd done IVF. That was our third round of IVF over a number of years. Uh, The first time I tried IVF, it just didn't feel right to us, so we chose not to do it and go back to natural methods. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'd had four miscarriages on the way to a successful pregnancy. So we were hoping for one. Uh, We thought maybe we'd get two because we had two embryos implanted. Mm -hmm. 
we never considered three. <laughs> Crazily, that that thought had never popped into our mind. Yeah. Uh, and so when the sonographer said, "Oh, I think I'll I'll need to do an internal. I think there's three in there." Uh, we both looked at each other and just started laughing. Yeah. And you don't know whether to laugh or whether to cry or whether to vomit. You know, Jeff and I went through that experience because we had a single embryo transfer. Didn't divide during the thawing process, divided after transfer into the identical twins. And our sonographer said, oh, you two have been naughty on this process. You've conceived a natural one and an IVF one. And we were like, we can guarantee you. We did yeah. not conceive that other baby. <laughs> there has been no chance of that occurring. You don't feel quite at your sexiest going through an IVF process. And I knew exactly what we had and hadn't done. So I understand that feeling of shock. And just after, you know, having been through very similar journey that you guys have been through, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I think shock's probably the right word. And I know for me, I was probably in shock for for quite some time mm. um, and I didn't actually allow myself to believe I was pregnant and it actually might work this time mm. until I got to about week 20. Yeah. Because my first miscarriage was at week 13. Mm. I thought I was okay, you know, that you re- reach the 12-week mark and That's you tell cruel. all your families and friends. That's and cruel. Yeah, that was a, that was a tough one. Mm. Yeah, much fun yeah and i you know i've heard it said so many times that people even when they do announce at that stage they're announcing a pregnancy not a baby and you don't really believe it after you've had that history of loss and infertility and all of those things until you've got that baby on your chest and you really believe that everything's going to be okay yeah and i think that's probably why i didn't allow myself to uh believe it Mm. It was actually happening yeah. because I'd had so many miscarriages mm. and it was years, years and years and years of mm. this trying. And I hate using that word trying. Um, and so eventually when it happened with the triplets, you know, I didn't, you know, I just I didn't let myself go there. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought about that reading your story that, you know, we tend to have friends that we sort of start trying with around the same time that end up sort of being your mother's group and all of that kind of thing. Um, but the people that would have started that process at the same time that you did would have had kids that had been at school for a year or two by the time you actually got those three baby girls. And that's, yeah. that's crazy when you think about it in those terms of how long it actually is, you know, it's more than half a decade that you guys had a crack at this for just yeah. crazy. <laughs> Some of those people might've gone on to have three babies by the time that you got yours. You just caught up very quickly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so having experienced a multiple pregnancy, I know that the odds of all of your babies making it to term were not in your favor and they were very frank with us when they found out that we were carrying the twins and even put on the table, um, the possibility of a selective reduction in the pregnancy. And that didn't feel right for us and no judgment to anyone that it does feel right for. Um, having gone through the process, we had gone through that just didn't feel like the right thing for us. Um, but did you ever anticipate that it would also be your life that would be threatened in this pregnancy? Yeah, look, I was, uh, 44, nearly only a few weeks off, um, turning 45 when I got pregnant. So I was high risk already because of my age. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and then to get pregnant with triplets I was extremely high risk yeah. so you know that was always at the back of my mind I never thought that I'd end up in a coma yeah absolutely. Uh, that never occurred to me um and I didn't even really know much about eclampsia or preeclampsia or, or any of those conditions mm. so I purposely stayed away from googling what could go wrong uh, because I didn't want to attract any of that stuff to me energetically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really did keep myself in the dark in regards to that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was really quite ill throughout most of my pregnancy. From about week seven or eight, mm. uh, I was on bed rest yeah. as advised by my IVF specialist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was really quite unwell for the entire, you know, <laughs> entire pregnancy so I didn't have much energy to really look into anything or think about anything or worry about anything I just was trying to get through the day Mm -hmm. every day each and every day Mm. it can be so easy though on bed rest particularly if you're feeling yucky like that to grab your phone and do dr google and I think (laughs) we've had so many people you know so many friends and family and stuff that have gone through stuff like this that you can't help going down that rabbit hole a little bit sometimes because you just desperately want to know what you can do you know to make sure that your babies are okay so I'm glad that you didn't know too much about that but for our listeners that um, might not have heard of preeclampsia or eclampsia before it's a severe complication of so eclampsia is a severe complication of eclampsia it's a rare complication in pregnancy where high blood pressure results in seizures Um, So you had a cesarean book to deliver your girls at 33 weeks and often multiples are delivered early because it's the safest option for both you and for your baby. Can you tell me what made you go to the hospital the day before or the night before their delivery? Yeah, I I had a bit of a feeling around three days before I was due for my scheduled cesarean Mm -hmm. Uh, so I emailed my obstetrician and said hey listen if you can get me in the day before I feel like I need to come in just get settled you know have a shower have a nice meal get a good night's sleep in preparation I was really quite nervous about the surgery Uh, so I was just it was just I don't know something just popped into my mind I thought you know what I'm going to trust this Mm -hmm. I'm going to see if it's a possibility and thankfully he did he got Mm. me in the day before um, and I felt absolutely fine. You know, I had I had a shower, was eating some dinner. My husband was on the phone to my dad at the time I started to have a seizure. And there was no warning. I didn't feel strange. There was no, you know, I had uh, good blood pressure readings. And then all of a sudden I said to my husband, something's not right. And then I heard myself say it again. And then I don't remember anything after that other than hearing him say, do something and then gone so scary so as the mother of a child with epilepsy (laughs) my heart skipped a beat then when you said that you were eating something because one of the things you have to make sure that you do we always make sure that marley's mouth is clear when she finishes anything particularly if she's sick because having a seizure while you've got food in your mouth can be very scary scary because you can easily aspirate that food um do you have any memory of in between like I can't having watched Marley have seizures and then come out and be so disoriented in that postictal phase when your brain is recovering particularly if she's been put into an induced coma which I believe is what happened with you as well yeah I can't imagine what that is like of coming out of your induced coma to know that you've birthed 
three beautiful baby girls and that your life was in danger. Can you just talk whatever you feel? I can't imagine the trauma, but can you talk me through some of that time and what you remember? Yeah, it was, uh, it was really quite surreal because I've woken up. I had a breathing apparatus down my throat, mm-hmm. uh, so I couldn't talk and couldn't communicate. I was on some pretty hardcore drugs. Yeah. Uh, and when I woke up, it was literally the time when my husband had ducked out to get a sandwich, oh, been no. there, you know, for the entire time and had gone off to grab something to eat. And when I woke up, he wasn't there. So <laughs> it was was an unpleasant experience. Nobody can understand what I was trying to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think I must have passed out again quite quickly and then woke up hours later or possibly even the next day. I was really groggy and everything was very, um, you know, kind of, I don't remember much of it. Um, they took the breathing apparatus out quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I wanted to know was where was my husband and are my kids okay? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you had that sense, you understood that you weren't pregnant anymore? Uh, look, I don't know if I had that straight away. It, it's hard to know. I can't quite remember. I was on some, um, you know, pretty full on drugs mm. and a lot of it's quite blurry in that first week. Yeah. Um, but I didn't get to meet the girls until Tuesday after lunch mm. and I had the seizure on Sunday around 9 p.m. Wow. That was a good couple of days. Yeah. Uh, and my husband was really quite keen to get me up to the girls as soon as he could mm-hmm. to do skin on skin because yeah, we know course. what that is. Yeah. Um, and I remember going up there but still groggy. So, yeah. you know, I just remember lots of tubes and lots of beeping and it's a really intense environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, a NICU, anyone that's been in a neonatal or paediatric intensive care unit would know that that's just an intense environment as it is. But for yeah. you to be that sick and then yeah. coming in to meet the girls like that, did you know that you were having girls when you were pregnant? Did you know that it was three yes. girls in there? Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, I had that blood test, um, out in the early stages to check for any, um, yeah you know, irregularities because of my age mm-hmm. uh, and it came back with uh, no no Y chromosomes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and my obstetrician gave gave us the results um, and <laughs> we just laughed. Yeah. We just laughed. Uh, yeah, three girls. <laughs> just amazing. Just to think, like... We, I have the moments where, you know, I'll be driving along and I'll look in the rear vision mirror of our car and see all of our kids sitting in the back and just go from where we came from. How on earth did we end up here? Like how lucky are we to be here with this beautiful family and, this, you know, these beautiful children? Because, you know, a lot of people aren't vocal about going through fertility treatment and so I guess lots of people if they don't end up with children at the end of it. And it happens to so many people. I think, you know, IVF has become a bit more mainstream than what it was previously, but so many people still go through fertility treatment and don't end up with babies at the end of it and just say, you know, I didn't want to have children or it didn't work out for me or whatever. So to go through that process and to have all of these babies now, it's just such an exciting thing. And, uh, people keep saying it's such a miracle and you, you know like you sometimes I look at all, all these little people and go <laughs> I can't believe that they're my kids yeah you know I I cannot believe that I have three children yeah <laughs> often yeah. often I you know I'll be sitting there uh sometimes when we're really feeling brave we'll go out you know 
and have uh, breakfast yeah. in a cafe. Yeah. And sometimes I'll sit there and there's these three high chairs and, you know, we're trying to feed all, all of them and keep them calm. And, you know, everybody in the cafe is looking at you, wondering, oh, my God, how do they do it? You know, like people, yeah. people stare, bless them. Yeah. Because it's unusual, isn't it? It's, it's very unusual. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's... Oh, I can't believe it sometimes, and I just feel so blessed. Yeah, absolutely. Now, lots of preemie babies need blood products when they are first born, and when I first approached you for an interview, I had sort of done it from that angle, you know, assuming preemie babies need quite often need platelet infusions. Um, but we've come across a much more interesting story in our chats before this episode, and what I'd really like to focus on today is the way that you accessed donor breast milk um for the girls can you tell me how that happened yeah so it was really important to us to make sure that the girls had the best um possible beginnings uh and breast milk is such an important part of the girls growth and development Mm -hmm. so when we were in NICU um pete actually was connecting with the milk bank to acquire donor breast milk for the girls to have while they're in NICU Mm -hmm. um and so they had that for the five weeks we're in NICU and towards the end of our stay there we started to experiment with formula to make sure that they would wean off their breast milk onto formula Mm -hmm. we had no issues um so then they came home we put them on formula We'd make 24 bottles a day of formula. We'd batch make just for time and ease. Yeah. Uh, and then we'd hit milk up and give it to the girls. But Isabella and Liliana both have eczema mm-hmm. and it became quite apparent that formula was part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were having flare-ups. So we decided to source donor breast milk. Um, and there's a couple of groups on Facebook that we connected with and you know, I put some stuff out on social media and I got interviewed on B105 mm-hmm. with Ask Abby. Um, we've got some incredible ladies, you know, phone in and offer offer their milk. A lot of women have an oversupply of breast milk that they literally just pour down the sink mm-hmm. because they don't know that they can donate it to other mums mm-hmm. like me. Yeah. Uh, so I went on this whole journey of, you know, educating the world about, you know, ladies, if you've got extra milk, please share it because mm-hmm. there are a lot of mums like me that can't produce. Yeah. Uh, want to do the best thing for our kids um, and there's some amazing women who are so generous um, with that so mm-hmm. yeah we connected with some brilliant mums and you know we've still got friendships with a number of them we do play dates with our kids yeah. and their kids uh, so form this little amazing community. Um, it's so special isn't it there's um, we weren't able to access that we had our first guy was a bit early and we supplemented with formula while he was still in NICU and we weren't able to access a milk bank at that time. Um, he's nearly 12 now, so that was a little while ago. Um, yeah. But after our twins were born, because my body was getting ready to feed two babies and there was only one baby to feed, I had a significant oversupply and shared that milk with some other people in my mother's group. And then there's different times where, you know, one of us have had a baby that we're breastfeeding and, you know, someone else's kids had their tonsils out or something. So you're like, can I borrow a little bit of your breast milk out of your freezer stash to top them up a little bit? And that's such a normal thing for me with my closest friends, but it's not something that everybody, and I mean, it's not for everyone and that's fine, but it's so important to normalize that conversation about, you know, the way that it can be done. 
Um, thousands of babies are born prematurely each year and with that early arrival comes a unique set of challenges and one of those challenges is often mothers of premature babies face in producing the volume of breast milk that their baby needs um, because their bodies aren't quite ready due to their baby's early arrival Um, and this is especially the case if the baby is unable to feed directly from the breast which lots of preemie babies are unable to do straight away. For some, this will last days or weeks, and for others, this will be months, um, and this time is often spent in neonatal intensive care units, which we've been referring to as NICUs. Um, Given the pregnancy that you had, you know, with your age, you're carrying three babies, surely there was conversations that were had about the possibility of your girls ending up in NICU quite early. Did anyone discuss the process of you accessing donor breast milk um, through the milk banks while you were still pregnant? No, not that I recall. We were working with an obstetrician. Yeah. Um, and I guess he was focused on getting us to delivery and yep. making sure that, you know, we're all healthy, healthy and happy along the way. Mm. Um, I don't recall any conversations about it. Uh, and then when I was in the hospital, we had some... Um, uh, ladies come and talk to me about you know breastfeeding there was midwives in the unit there that would help with that process and lactation consultants mm-hmm. um and you know it, it was spoken about then as a possibility which is how we got onto the milk bank mm-hmm. um, but i don't i don't think so in the lead up to it mm. we didn't do a lot of preparation to be honest yeah yeah and i was thinking you know a lot of you know, quite often when people have babies arrive prematurely, it is a very big shock and you don't have time to plan. And You know, you can't plan for every possible scenario with the delivery of your babies. But given your unique set of circumstances, I think it was likely that you were going to have your babies early. You know, it would be rare to go all the way to term with the obstetric, you know, the history that you had and all of the things that were happening for you guys. So um, it would be really nice to think that, it could be proactively discussed with people, even if it's just to have breast milk top-ups, you know, to support that breastfeeding relationship. And hopefully if more people hear episodes like this and the advocacy work that you've been doing too, and there's a greater supply of breast milk, it can be offered more readily to people in hospitals. And I think that's the issue. I think there is a lack of it. Yeah. Um, You know, it was a lot of effort to try and find breast milk for mm. the girls. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I would drive, you know, an hour and a half to go and pick up five litres of breast milk, yeah. which would last me for, you know, a day and a half to two yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, um, So, you know, there was times where I was driving all over Brisbane, picking up breast milk, always had an esky, cold packs in the car, just in case somebody would message out of the blue. Yeah. Uh, and if I was on the side of the town, I could swing by. My husband was going down the Gold Coast, picking up milk down there because he works down there one day a week yeah Um, so it is a real effort and it was you know very stressful Mm. really stressful Mm. um and so it'd be amazing if you know we could educate ladies uh about this Mm. uh and you know also people you know like us who like me that got into a position where i couldn't produce my own milk i hadn't really even considered that yeah Um, yeah it would be be brilliant to do that Mm. sure so the benefits of breast milk is that it's more easily digested than formula. It protects the gut and improves feed tolerance. And breast milk also contains antibodies that help protect babies against viruses and bacteria, um, which is so essential to those fragile, premature babies. 
what benefits do you feel that your family got from accessing donor breast milk? Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, a lot of people say breast is best, mm. but fed is best at the end mm. of the day. We've got to make sure our babies are eating something or another. Yeah. Um, I think uh, if you can get access to breast milk, it's probably always the better way. Mm. Um, you know, like you said, it's got nutrients, it's got things in it that benefit bubs when they're teeny tiny, mm. which is why it's so important to us to access that when they were in NICU, you know, like yeah. they're, they're having all those challenges to start with. Let's get the best thing into their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sat down with a dietitian and we had a look at a number of different formulas, did a lot of research around formulas, what were the best ones that were the closest um, to breast milk as well. So when we did put the girls onto formula, it wasn't just a bunch of chemicals going into their system. Mm-hmm. For us, it's really important just to the best start. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially after the journey you had been on to get those precious little girls, you wanted to do everything that you could to support them, I'm sure. Um, now, on a personal note, you have founded your own business called Wealthology Australia, where you are a property investment and wealth specialist. And you also have your own Instagram account, um, where your journey of raising the girls is profiled. Um, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, so uh, the business of triplets, we've got an Instagram and a Facebook page and we share our journey on there uh, daily. Yeah, uh, We do a lot on our stories. You know, we, we keep it real over here. I'm not doing the um, full makeup, hairdo, Instagram <laughs> situation uh, for me all the time. I haven't washed my hair in days because, you know, there's not a lot of time around here to, yeah. to do self-care and that's okay, you know. I don't have these massive expectations on myself. I'm trying to keep three small humans alive and I'm yeah. doing a very good job at yeah. that. So, yeah. you know, if I go for a few days with no hair wash, so be it. doesn't really And matter. that's exactly how I show up on, yeah. Mm-hmm. In regards to my business, you know, I, I help uh, families create wealth for themselves through property. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's wealthology.com.au place to find me there yeah uh, and actually i had uh, a new client come to me through the week and they've got twins oh really uh, so it was really cool because it's like oh my god i'm a multiple <laughs> mama too <laughs> there's, there's one uh, like yeah, me got, yeah i've got a few families that have multiples and it's really exciting because you know when you, you have all, all these kids at the one time life can be pretty expensive so yeah absolutely great help families prepare for their future mm-hmm. uh, by uh, doing the, the property investing strategy. Yeah. But um, yeah, the business of triplets, I probably need to start that website. So I might actually do that when I get off this. Because, <laughs> um, uh, you know, people ask me all the time, how did you get pregnant? What tips have you got? Mm-hmm. You know, well, what do I need to do with my mindset? Um, so there's so many things that, you know, uh, I could be sharing about. So, yes, yeah, so I'll get on to that, the business of triplets.com. Yeah. Do you have any sense of what made that cycle with the triplets work? What was different about that cycle, do you think, to the other IVF cycles that you had done? Yeah, look, there's a number of things, but one of the biggest things that I find myself talking about a lot is the timing. Mm -hmm. I am a big believer in when it's supposed to happen, it will happen because that's how it happens. Mm. And that was what I would keep going back to. You know, every time I had a miscarriage, I would hear myself say out loud, the universe has got bigger plans for us. (laughs) Little did I know uh, Mm -hmm. what that actually was. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
you know, I, I'm a big believer in that. And it was sometimes the only thing that would keep me sane mm-hmm. uh, is knowing that now is not the time, but it will come if it is supposed to. Yeah. And that time we got pregnant was actually our last <sighs> go. Pete and I had a conversation. Yeah. Uh, and I'd gone off and seen a clairvoyant to get some guidance. And she said to me, I was going to have twins. Oh, wow. And she said, just one more go, just one more go. Mm. And I was like, really? Because I was like, right, this is it. <clears throat> she yeah. said, no, no, they're telling me just one more go. Uh, and I'd had um, miscarriage not too long before that. Mm. And she said to me, oh, have you had a, a loss recently? And I was like, no, I don't think so. Like I was thinking of a grandma. Yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I said, no, 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 no. She goes, are you sure? Because somebody's coming through for you. And I was like, really? She goes, yeah, it's a baby. Mm. A little baby's here, a little boy. His name's Daniel. (laughs) And it's hard to, and that was, you know, what we said at the top of the episode as well, that you start to think about them as pregnancies rather than babies when you've had so many losses. We suffered recurrent miscarriage as well, um, naturally and through our fertility treatment. And you stop. You can't, it's self-preservation. You have to just think about them as, you know, pregnancies as part of the process to getting a baby rather than thinking about each pregnancy as a baby itself. Otherwise, I don't, like, you couldn't stick at it for six years like you guys did if you, yeah, invested emotion like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, you know, uh, I didn't allow myself to believe that it was going to, you know, that I was pregnant and I was going to, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to put my heart so much into it, knowing mm. that it was possible I'd, I'd have another miscarriage. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really hard. Mm. And how crazy that it was the singleton pregnancies that you lost and then the triplets were the ones that decided to stick and hold on so tight. <laughs> so did you, so you had two embryos transferred. So... You did have twins then, I guess, because one would be a set of identical twins and the other one would be a Correct. single, yeah, even though it's I've triplets. Got identical twins. Yeah. And then, and then I have a fraternal sister. Yeah. Uh, so I saw my clay point and I said, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I did have twins, but <laughs> got the bonus. There was a bonus one. baby too. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, bonus baby. So can you, and we'll pop a no, link no, in yeah, the sorry we'll pop you go what were you gonna say i missed the question that's okay i was just gonna say that we will pop a link in the show notes to um all the places that our listeners can find you guys um because i think people will be fascinated to have a look and your socials are just such a joy as well it does keep it very real and it's just gorgeous you know it's just what parenting really does look like so thank you for sharing it so beautifully like that I've really enjoyed getting to know you and your family through that um so tell me for people that don't know you what does a day in your life look like right now yeah tell me about the girls oh my god Look, there's a lot of repetition. Yeah. Um, we're quite structured. Yeah. One thing I, I learnt um, with multiples before we had them was to have uh, structure. So everybody yeah. feeds at the same time. Everybody goes to bed at the same time. Otherwise, you've always got somebody up awake mm-hmm. and somebody's always eating. Mm-hmm. So we do that. Um, also, I understand that kids like routine, so mm-hmm. they benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
we have a flexible routine. Mm-hmm. So rather than having to be at the dinner table at five o'clock every night, we'll often take a picnic to the park. Yeah. We take the girls out twice a day in the pram uh, to get them out, get them some vitamin D. We've got a dog that wants to go out walking as well. Yeah. Um, so to get the girls outside in natural environments is really important to us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll take a picnic to the park. We're not always at the dinner table. Mm. So we like to mix things up, but what does my day look like? The girls get up at seven, we have breakfast, I'll have a bottle at eight, yeah. we get dressed, changed, we'll go outside, have a bit of a play, uh, they go down for a nap around 11, and then they're up about 1, 1.30, we'll mm-hmm. have some lunch, and then we'll play again in the afternoon as usually when we'll have visitors, so mm-hmm. we do uh, play dates with other kids. Um, the girls go to a Montessori childcare three days awesome. a week, which has been incredible for their development. Yeah, cool. They've got their own little social community there. You know, they've got little friends. They're learning all these incredible things. You know, they're learning to be independent and to do stuff for themselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're chopping up apples and stuff like that. So soon they'll be cooking a dinner. I'm really and then, you know, five o'clock, it gets pretty hectic. It's dinner, bath, we mm-hmm. go for a walk with the dog. And then yep. we play for, you know, half an hour until the girls start to go down. Um, yep. And, you know, we got a sleep consultant very early on to help learn what we could do to facilitate a smoother transition to bed, if mm-hmm. you like. Yeah. Uh, so the girls are great sleepers. Amazing. Um, you know, I remember when we were in, we were in the MARTA for delivery, one of the midwives said to us, you know, it's really important to try and get the sleep right because if you're getting sleep, it's just so much more beneficial yeah. to your family mm-hmm. other than you walking around like a zombie. And the medical team at the MATA were incredible. Amazing. You know, like the midwives there, because I had some issues with um, my ducks at right. one point had a blockage and, you know, that was another issue while my milk wasn't coming down Um, and midwife just jumped straight into it and sorted that out straight away I didn't even know I had a blockage I thought finally my milk was coming down uh not the case yeah um any of that stuff turns in mastitis so so the midwife just got onto it straight away the Mm. medical team was outstanding Mm. I am on the record lots of times saying that I would rather birth all of my babies again in the same day than ever have mastitis again. So you have done the hard yards of all of that because mastitis is the actual worst thing ever. <laughs> Anyone who's listening, get onto it quickly if you think you've got a blocked up yes. that could potentially be leading to mastitis. I remember, you know, hallucinating and being delirious when I've had mastitis before and having a doctor um, just at a like a nighttime clinic that I went to to get some antibiotics because it hit me during the night. And she's like, oh, I'll just have a little massage of it and see if I can break it down. I'm like, if you touch it, I'm in that much pain, I will vomit. And as soon as she tried to massage it down, I projectile vomited on her. Not a good look. Motherhood's not a glamorous thing sometimes, but that's okay. (laughs) So tell me about the girls because while – they are triplets. I'm sure there's something very unique about each of them. So tell me about each of them and something, you know, that's their favourite thing or something they find funny or, you know, just a different yeah. thing about each of them so that we keep them a little bit separate. Charlotte is uh, our singleton. <laughs> so she had her own egg right. and she was the one that was kicking during pregnancy. I didn't really feel the other too much. Yeah. Uh, Liliana was in the middle and she was teeny tiny um, and Isabella was on the right and Liliana at one point was actually not getting enough nutrition so 
we were looking at early er delivery. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, thankfully, we didn't get to that point. Um, and she popped out first, being in the middle. Right. And then Charlotte came out. And so Charlotte's always been the bigger bub. She was nearly two kilos when she arrived. Um, but she's she is like a big sister. Right. She is a bit bigger in size. And she's about five centimetres taller than the other two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she has shoe fetish. <laughs> <laughs> Starting off early. <laughs> yeah. She loves wearing shoes around the house, my shoes. Mm. So when I'm in a hurry and about to race out the door, I can never find my other shoe. Yeah. Um, which is interesting when I'm trying to go off to a business meeting and look professional. Um, so, yeah, she's she's a real little character. She loves life. She's very social. She loves hanging out with the big kids and yeah. childcare. Um, she's very curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I've got Liliana and Isabella, who are very different, mm. but they have a lot of similarities being identical. Yeah, right. Um, Liliana is my wild child. She is very <laughs> strong-willed, I like to say. Takes after her mum, that one. Uh, very independent. Mm-hmm. A runner. So if you if you get her out of the pram, yeah. she, she's off. Yeah, she's uh, off exploring the world. She will go on great adventures mm. in her lifetime, um, and she likes to say no at the moment. And the other <laughs> people stop it. <laughs> How old are they? Twenty months. <laughs> Nineteen, nearly twenty months. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that was fun when she said, "Stop it, stop it." I was like, Good. Mm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Isabella is. Uh, she's a real character as well. She's very funny. She pulls a lot of funny faces. Yeah. Um, and she likes to have a lot of fun. She's very cuddly at the moment. Yeah. Uh, she's a bit like a koala bear. But she likes her one-on-one time. She is um, very sensitive to energy, as is Charlotte, mm-hmm. I've noticed. Uh, but she does like one-on-one time, so mm. I need to take her away from really stimulating environments often. Yeah. So we're doing one-on-one dates. I took her out yesterday. We went for a walk. She had her little bunny ears on. We put a great video up on social. Check that out. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to spend one-on-one time because with multiples, you know, you're always together. Yeah. Especially if you're home alone, you're the only parent. Mm-hmm. You can't have to be there with all of them. Um, and so it, it can be challenging mm. to get one-on-one time. Yeah. But also often you don't think about the importance of that. And they are their own unique individual little people Mm. and they need to be remembered as that way. Often triplets are just thrown into the, you know, people call them the triplets Mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. I don't refer to them as the triplets. Uh, I call them the girls. Yeah, right. Because I don't want them to be just thrown into a basket together like that. Mm. Um, And, you know, that will be a challenge, I'm sure, throughout their lifetime. Mm. Uh, But I'm, I'm trying to you know, remind people that they are their own unique little beings and let's treat them like that. Yeah, awesome. And that's exactly why I asked you the question. So that's beautiful. I'm glad. (laughs) That's a beautiful place to end our episode. Um, Thank you so much for being a part of the Milkshakes for Mali community and for sharing your story with everyone today. Um, We love telling survival stories of blood product recipients, but also breast milk because that is also offered through milk banks. And I just hope that demystifies it a little bit for people today and they can see how you know, it is accessible if it's something that you're interested in um, and how much your little girls have just thrived by being able to access it. Um, So really, really enjoyed having you on today, Leonie. Thank you so much. Amazing. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You know, for me, it's really important to pay it forward and let 
other women know that they're not alone, mm-hmm. you know, not all of us can have our milk come down. Yeah. And I didn't even know what come down meant. I didn't even yeah. know that terminology. Mm. Um, and, you know, I want to give a shout out to all those incredible women that do donate their milk because, you know, that is, that is, you know, that's really special. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. For anyone who is interested in the process of accessing or donating, breast milk is collected from a donor when they have expressed at least three litres, obviously across many pumping sessions, with milk being stored in sterilised bags and frozen. It is then screened and tested for safety, pasteurised and distributed to babies in need. Lifeblood milk banks are currently available in Sydney, Adelaide and Brisbane, and you can find more information on Lifeblood's website. We'll add a link to this in the show notes. Nothing feels more Australian, like the modern demonstration of mateship, than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift and it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This podcast is written and presented by me, Kate Fisher. Today's guest was Leonie Fitzgerald, who shared the story of her triplets accessing donor breast milk. My husband, Jeff Fisher, does the audio production for this podcast. To make an appointment to donate plasma and other blood products in Australia, or breast milk, go to www.lifeblood.com.au and we would love it if you could add your donation to the Milkshakes for Mali Lifeblood Team Tally. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and share this episode with a friend. And as always, I will leave the final word to Mali. Thank you for my prize mark.